Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the mic for thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. In this episode, you'll hear from Madeline Dunmore, Regional Workplace Manager at Newmark Knight Frank. Dunmore discusses the loneliness epidemic and the role of workplace in the battle against despair. Madeline Dunmore, I'm the Regional Workplace Manager at Newmark Knight Frank. I'm with their Workplace Strategy and Human Experience team. And my topic here at Coronet is uh, the loneliness epidemic and the role of workplace in the battle against despair, which sounds very dire and scary, but it's a really important topic as we turn more to mental health and, and how we connect with each other, especially in the coming age of um, automation, artificial intelligence, machine learning, the connections that we have to other humans becomes very important and an uh, important piece to capitalize on as we grow our careers, as we make connections to each other uh, through teams and how we collaborate, how we inspire each other, and how we make innovation for you know, um, our own lifetimes and, and the next generation to come. This all started by a um, Harvard Business Review article and a whole series of articles about loneliness in the workplace. Started by Zuzek Murphy, who was the uh, former Surgeon General in the U.S. from 2014 to 2017. And, and during his practice as both being a doctor and a Surgeon General, he really saw um, a lot of people come into his office as patients and their, their primary problem was that they were lonely. They had no one to, to care for them. They had no one to really go home to. And he saw this in his own practice and then he learned about research and Cigna did a great uh, piece, the healthcare company, about uh, a research a study on loneliness. And they learned a bunch of fascinating things about how lonely, particularly in America, it's um, it's, it's a global phenomenon as well, but, but in the U.S. it really seems to be uh, moving very quickly and, and having a lot of symptoms. So we're seeing nearly half of Americans report that they sometimes are always feel lonely or left out. So that's half, you know, one in two. It's a, it's a high number. And, and on the other half, like only half of people feel like they are in meaningful relationships or have in-person social interactions on a daily basis. And, um, and one in four actually feel like they never feel like they have that people understand them, which is quite sad. And, uh, and that's really risen. And 30 years ago, that was only one in 10 people uh, who felt that way. So we're really seeing an increase in that. Uh, and, and also, as part of that Cygnus study, we learned that two in five Americans feel that their relationships are not meaningful and that they feel isolated from others. So it's a large part of our population and a large part of our workforce. Um, we're seeing generational differences when it comes to loneliness with um, Gen Z's feeling that isolation a little bit more than the other generations. This is the people who are born um, after 1995, so this is the kind of the youngest generation that we have any data about. I mean, one can assume that that's because they're in high school. <laughs> and if anyone remembers high school, no one exactly, it's a difficult time and everyone struggles there. But there could be some other generational factors about how they're using technology, how they're connecting with each other, the kind of relationships they're forming now that might inform their, their mental health for years to come. Because it does, uh, each generation feels a little bit more connected with the greatest generation feeling kind of 
the most connected, despite that when we get older, we tend to be more alone, um, which I think is an interesting trend that that generation still feels rather connected. So why is this important? Uh, not only is it just some sad facts, it's dangerous. Uh, loneliness, they have found uh, in weak social connections are so associated to a reduction in lifespan, similar to that by smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And it's even a greater risk than obesity in some circles. And this is, has to do with mortality rate. So people that indicate that they have a higher rate of loneliness um, have a, basically a shorter lifespan. So it's a real indicator of a larger, you know, uh, public health crisis on our hands. The uh, people with loneliness have a greater risk of cardiovascular disease, dementia, depression, anxiety. Um, tends to be that people with higher rates of loneliness have an increased cortisol rate, a higher stress reaction, and that can lead to all kinds of things, higher inflammation, um, arthritis, and a lot of these things can be um, have a spiral effect to them. So once you feel isolated and you don't trust people, you tend to want to isolate yourself and that kind of exacerbates the problem. It's also shown that you have a 50% increase of early death compared to those with good social connections. So it's really, you know, important to keep social connections and and uh, as a key piece of your, your work and your life um, because it can have really dire impacts to, to our health. We're also finding that it impacts business. So a third of all sick days are mental health days. So whether, you know, that's part of loneliness or not, we're really seeing that that can affect the bottom line and productivity of workers. You know, lonelier employees feel less committed to their organization. They can be harder to collaborate with. Um, you know, they don't make quite as good team members, and that's really where we're seeing a lot of the innovation for companies to come today. Um, they've also done studies on brain function and that creativity can affect, uh, I mean loneliness can affect creativity, executive functions, decision making, all of those important things if you don't feel safe and secure, if you're having those higher levels of cortisol levels that, incre that increased loneliness does tend to cause, you're not as able to come up with new ideas, have those deep thoughts, have deep connections, make better decisions. So not only does it have a strong health impact for us, but it also you know, can affect uh, how our businesses run. And we're learning a lot about, about um, how people are connected. Uh, the Gallup Q12 survey is a 12-question survey that really measures engagement. One of their questions is, do you have a best friend at work? And it's surprising to see these results and that 80% of people, you know, don't have a close friend at work. And I, I read an interesting thing that, you know, Americans don't really go on vacations with their coworkers. And when I read that, I was like, oh my gosh, no, of course not. Who would go on a vacation with your coworkers? You go on vacation and get away from those people. But in other countries, um, like India and some Scandinavian countries, it's actually very common to go on vacation with coworkers. And this makes sense. Say you spend your, your most waking hours with these people, you go through hard times, you form connections, they're like a second family. And, um, you know, so, you, of course, you'd want to spend time with them outside of that, just like your real family. But in America, we don't, we don't do that. That's not really part of our culture. We have more of a, a separation between our lives at home and our work lives. But perhaps that's creating this rift where we feel that the people we work with don't really know us, and, and that breaks down the barriers of trust. 
Uh, and this is at all levels of the workforce and organizations. And in fact, at the top, it tends to get even, even, even lonelier. Um, and half of CEOs really report that they're lonely and that number seems to be growing. So when we don't have these strong social ties to colleagues and willingness to communicate and collaborate based on feelings, the, the trust really disintegrates and trust is the, the bedrock of how we build both relationships but also how we try new ideas. You know, you're not going to throw some new ideas out there if you don't trust the people that you're talking to to take your idea seriously or to help you workshop it. You have to be vulnerable in order to have those, those new thoughts and those new ideas, and you might not be willing to do so in an environment where you don't have that trust because you've instead fostered this, this problem of loneliness. So, um, we're really seeing this on a statistic level. Uh, the Brookings Institute has published a lot of information about uh, what they're calling uh, midlife mortality from deaths of despair. I know, very, um, <laughs> very dramatic, but we're seeing an increase um, really from the 2000s of especially um, high school educated uh, white Americans. It's increasing at a higher rate than every other country, every other demographic. And these are deaths by drug, alcohol, and suicide. And since 2000, we're seeing an increase of these deaths across the country and a lot in rural areas. And, and that makes sense based on what, from what we're hearing from the news, you know, suicide rates are increasing. Um, it's a pretty uh, depressing statistics on that. Um, it's the 10th leading cause of death in the United States. Um, and, uh, and approximately every day 105 Americans die by suicide. So it is a real issue that, um, you know, we're facing this crisis almost. Uh, we're also seeing kind of the opioid crisis and um, different sort of drug overdoses be part of that as well and contribute to the overall thing. So, you know, if loneliness is the disease, these symptoms of um, deaths of despair from drugs, overdose, alcohol, and, and suicide seem to be kind of the symptoms of a larger public health crisis when it comes to mental health, and perhaps loneliness is a key piece of that and a place where we can start to make a difference. So why is this happening? Um, you know, we live in a complex society where there's a lot of things happening, but we do see the rates of these, of these pieces increasing. There's lots of reasons why, and we can't go into diagnosing all of them, but we're seeing people move around a lot more. So every time you move to a new city, you have to kind of start over with friends and family as far as making those connections. And the older you get, um, the harder that is. And it, when you do lose those friends and connections, it's easy to feel isolated. Also, the increased use of technology. Uh, you know, also separates us. Instead of maybe going to have a face-to-face -face conversation, you send an email, you send a, an instant message or a text. We're seeing more of that, and that also doesn't help build trust. Perhaps, you know, things get misunderstood, and, and we're actually breaking down the, the tools that would help us build a relationship or a trust instead of having lunch with somebody or, or getting a cup of coffee to talk about um, an issue. We, you know, we're, we're doing that through, through technology. And this idea that you're always on, you don't have time to, to regroup and really um, rest and, and come back fresh because, you know, your email's always always on and you, you are always checking it, you're always working, and you never get that chance to hit the reset button and, and, and recover. So those are kind of the three reasons that a lot of experts are showing out there. There's a lot of other pieces. Um, but that's what we're seeing. So what does um, workplace have to do? So the um, Chief Medical Officer of for Behavioral Health at Cigna, who, who led the study, 
he, he quoted, he was quoted by saying that there is an inherent link between loneliness and the workplace, and that employers have, um, are in a unique position to be a critical part of the solution, and I couldn't agree. And I think he was talking from a larger sense of, uh, you know, employers and a full rounded suite of packages of, of, of focusing on health, wellness, um, mental health, and but there's also a piece of the workplace from a commercial real estate point of view has to do with that. You know, we spend the majority of our waking hours at work, 8.8 .8 hours on an average basis. We spend um, at work with our coworkers, and as we age, who we spend our time with, um, you know, also changes. And during this kind of peak time in our lives when we are part of the workforce, the coworkers are, the, are who we spend our time with. We're also spending time with our kids or our partner or our friends, but because we're spending so many hours at work, it's, it's our coworkers that can really affect that. So, you know, we used to see spaces where people were really divided and isolated, enclosed offices, assigned cubicles with high walls, lots of things that were physically separating people, you know, not a lot of glass, so not a lot of transparency. And I go into lots of workspaces that still work like, look like this. I know, you know, all the workplace trends and the new pretty pictures, nothing looks like that, but I go into a lot of workspaces as a workplace consultant where there's still a lot of hard walls, there's still a lot of doors, a lot of enclosed spaces, and people are isolated. You know, the break room's just a closet with a microwave. Well, that's not really gonna drive collaboration, and that's not helping the loneliness epidemic. That's just separating people into individual pockets and creating barriers for them to make connections with other people, to not just share ideas, but to, to be vulnerable and make relationships. So there's nothing really drawing people to move around the space and to connect. So it's a, it's a key piece of, of what we talk about in workplace in addressing those issues. But in the space is just one part of that. There's also the behavior issues, um, things maybe that an employer can affect that aren't just space, that go beyond that. So there are ways that we're working now that, um, that, do, that do not promote connectedness, you know, that are driving us apart through technology, like remote work. It's a great way to, you know, hire people and not have to put them into space to find talent that's maybe not co-located with your headquarters um, or to provide an additional benefit for people who are looking for more additional flexibility in their lives. But that separates people and it's hard to make connections when you don't see them face to face. So how can we increase that? How can we make a difference? How can we provide maybe virtual connections but also bringing people together several times a year in a meaningful way where they can build strong relationships? This idea of always on as well, you know, that's isolating us by making work feel more like a burden and, um, and not being able to connect with family and having those connections um, kind of drive your, your well-being. In virtual teams, you know, if, if we're all separate and, um, and dispersed, how do we share information? How do we build trust in a virtual way um, that, that helps helps combat loneliness, but also helps drive collaboration and innovation. So a lot of the trends that we're seeing in, in design and in workplace create these engaging social spaces. It's really easy to do with people with a lot of square footage, large you know, headquarters or a large office. It's easy to dedicate that kind of square footage to, to social um, cafe spaces, work cafes, lounging spaces, but you can even do it on a smaller scale 
instead of having your break room being in a tiny closet, having it open, maybe doubling as reception, or having it near some conference rooms, or um, using demountable walls that can be moved in and out of place to create a larger space for social gatherings um, that helps drive people together. So having the space where you can create connections and, and make people, you know, not quite as, as lonely, make them at least feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves, that they have places to go, there are other people that work here, you know, and um, <clears throat> those spaces um, help drive the collaborative nature and the more, the more connectedness of the space. And so, and I, we've been talking about these themes for years when it comes to workplace strategy, and I think the loneliness piece, as it becomes more on an epidemic scale, how do we use the design and spaces to make people, people feel safe, to make people feel well, and that coziness of spaces, the introduction of plants, different textures, and colors, I think all contribute to lowering cortisol levels in the office and helping people feel at home, and then working towards helping them feel that they can share that they can be vulnerable. That's the first step in creating trust. But if you put yourself out there and you're immediately kind of shut down, you know, that bridge that you were trying to build towards um, more connectedness, kind of fight off the loneliness, you know, that's really been undermined by other behavior in the space. So it's not space alone that'll help combat the loneliness epidemic, but I think it can help and I think it can be a nudge. And we can often see behavior driven by design of running into each other, having those moments. But it's not just that. You have to match the behavior with that. So a few interesting ideas that I ran into during my research was have, um, there's a couple online programs that it's called Lunch Roulette. And you sign up a couple times of when you're available for lunch and it matches you with a random person in the company. Well, it's probably outside of your apartment, a different level with you, and you just sit down and have lunch. And you'll be surprised once you kind of broken bread with someone and shared a meal together, it's hard to pass them in the hallway and not say hello <laughs> and, and make a connection there. And so that's a great way to bring people together. You know, the work day we run over lunchtime, um, and it's a missed opportunity of bringing people together. So whether you do that in team lunches um, or kind of this lunch roulette idea, it's a, it's a great way to, to take that hour where you should and could eat and, and build a connection and a friendship with someone else. Um, another thought is to have off hours. You know, this always-on culture is, is, is really driving us apart. So set a company policy or even a team policy of, you know, we don't really send or check emails after 6 or 7 p.m. and the weekends are yours and we're not going to bother you unless it's a, an emergency or something. That's more of the exception than the rule. That gives people time to recharge, connect with um, people outside of the work, uh, work environment, such as spouses, friends, family, kids, to take care of those other responsibilities so that when we do come to work, we're refreshed, we're rejuvenated, and we can kind of carry on and be our most productive selves. And then also leading by example, you know, when you share a little bit about yourself or a time that you as a leader made a mistake, People really listen to that, and they, they're, they're willing to, to hear you out, and they'll see you leading by example, and they'll be more willing to share times where they might have made a mistake 
or they, you know, some, share something about their personal lives, about what motivates them. You know, why do you work here at this company versus all of your other choices? Is it something about what we do, our mission, um, our customers? All of those pieces can be part of learning about somebody and kind of forming a deeper connection and a deeper team mentality in the workplace. And the last one I'm going to throw out there was actually a recommendation um, by Vivek Murthy, the former Surgeon General. He took about 10 minutes out of every staff meeting. He gave that 10 minutes to a different person on his team every week or every other week, and they had 10 minutes to tell an interesting thing about themselves. So they made slides, it was a whole presentation, and he really got to learn about his team. You know, um, one person might have recently run a marathon and done really well. Another one um, is a, a, a veteran returning to the United States with a few tours of duty, so we got to talk about that experience. Um, you know, learning about your staff, having them share that experience with each other, and then, you know, watching from other people's presentations, and, and he really watched the team grow and become friends, form these connections, and work to not be lonely in the workplace. And a more connected team is one that trusts each other. They're one that's able to communicate and to collaborate, share ideas, and solve problems faster. So these things are hard. They take time. But uh, you're, you're not only helping build a better team and a better business, you would be helping to resolve a um, really a public health crisis of loneliness by, by connecting and pulling together. So that is my thoughts on the loneliness epidemic and how commercial real estate workplace strategy can, can help combat it. This concludes this episode of What's Next. Want to record a podcast of your own? Have an idea or point of view you'd like to share? Visit cornetglobal.org to learn more.